Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Sebastian and I am here with Jennifer. Hello. And welcoming back to the podcast, Rodney. Hello, guys. How are you? Woo! It's been a while, Rodney. Has it? Too long, Rodney. It's been too long. Thank you. It feels a little longer than normally. Yeah. Well, we just had better people to come on. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. You're one of our favorites. (laughs) You might find people who argue with you less. I hear you had like a love fest about Blade Runner recently. Yeah, it was pretty obnoxious. We needed somebody <laughs> to come on and tone it down a little bit. Oh, Blade Runner is the best movie ever made. Spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it is. Now, uh, if you've never uh, listened to a podcast that we've done with Rodney before, and why wouldn't you have? Rodney is the co-host of the Pod Forsaken podcast, a horror podcast that talks about horror movies that are streaming that you may not have seen. Jen and I uh, did an episode that I think still hasn't come out, right? That hasn't come out yet. That should be coming out in a week or two. Ooh. We, we had a number in the can and we are burning through them to catch up to the present. We did the, what, what movies did we do? You want to tell your audience? We did uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death and we did Lamora, A Child's Tale of a Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Both of which Jennifer and I chose to talk about. So if you want to hear those exciting 70s supernatural thrillers uh listen to the upcoming pod forsaken podcast you can hear how much rodney loved both of those films as well i had a good time watching them i think the episode that we did is one of our best episodes i think we had a great time i'm excited for people to hear it it is really long because sebastian (laughs) talks a lot (laughs) i do it's true well that's why i started a podcast might as well do something with all this blabbering it was so much fun rodney we had a blast You guys are awesome. Well, thank you. Do you have a horror recommendation for the week? You know, I'm going to recommend something that's not necessarily good, but it's certainly something you should watch. This is a movie called The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. I have seen it. Oh, you have? What'd you think? 
I enjoy it. It's crazy. It's a crazy 70s kung fu vampire movie. Yeah, it's basically a a co-production between Hammer Films and Shaw Brothers, Mm -hmm. right? So it's one part the traditional gothic Dracula stuff that you would expect from a Hammer film mixed with like this crazy kung fu movie from Shaw Brothers. I mean, it stars Peter Cushing. Like he has, you know, uh, Van Helsing. And we we did a recent we did this recently for Pod Forsaken, and I can't say that I liked the movie, but man, I had such a good time talking about it because it is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. It's worth tracking down. I need to see this. I haven't seen this. This sounds wonderful. This feels like a Gen movie. Yeah. I feel like you get a kick out of this. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about kung fu vampires today, although we are here to talk about kung fu in some regards. Yes. Being sort of mixed into a weird stew of things. See? Good segue. That's right. We are talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the 2010 film from geek god director Edgar Wright. For some weird reason... Jen, Rodney, and I always seem to talk about movies from around this time. We have this weird window where we talk about movies from 2009 to 2011. So eventually the three of us are going to cover all the big box office failures in that three-year window. You're totally right. That's weird. Whoa. Well, the reason why I thought of that is because there's one actor who is in this movie that was in Jennifer's Body, which we also Mm -hmm. talked about. This was kind of the time that he was in movies. So that's sort of indicative of this time period. But this movie was based on a pretty popular indie comic, uh, Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley, a Canadian comic book writer. And, you know, it was in development for a while. And Edgar Wright signed on. Of course, Edgar Wright at that time was most famously known for Shaun of the Dead. He did Hot Fuzz a couple of years before this but you know he's gone on to complete his Cornetto trilogy and he's also did the movie Baby Driver I am a huge fan of Edgar Wright I love The World's End the third film in the Cornetto trilogy more than most films I know most people don't consider that his best film but I do it really spoke to me personally of course I loved Shaun of the Dead when it came out I have now become a huge Hot Fuzz fan because it's one of Jennifer's favorite movies and we watch it a lot. Yes, uh, I love Edgar Wright. He's um, a direct, one of my favorite directors. I like everything that he's done, um, including the Sparks Brothers documentary that just came out was fantastic. My, as Seven mentioned, my favorite film of his is Hot Fuzz. It just hits all the right notes for me because I love like a good uh, murder mystery and that whole style and the buddy cop and, and just, I mean, is this his sense of humor and, and everything? It's just, it's just perfect. Then World's End, then Shaun of the Dead, then the one we're talking about tonight, Scott Pilgrim, and then probably Baby Driver if I had to, if I had to choose like an order of favorites, but I like them all. And I did get to um, see this one. I've seen this one in the theater a couple times. Rodney, what are your thoughts on Edgar Wright? Wait, who's he? (laughs) (laughs) See the guy from Jennifer's Body? (laughs) I look, I love Edgar Wright. And actually, uh, you know, so I rewatched Scott Pilgrim last night just to, you know, remind myself. And as I was watching it, I thought, I think I've seen every movie he's done. 
but I did not see the documentary that just came out. The Sparks Brothers, that what it was? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I'm behind by one. And does it, he has another movie yep. coming out, right? One Night in Soho. Coming out in the fall. That's all, right? There's the, there's the, the trilogy, there's Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim. And the show Spaced. Oh, uh, right. I've never... So I've never seen that. And another one that we talked about, um, well, Seven I talked about, because we did Grindhouse together, uh, a podcast of that, and he did my favorite segment in in the um, intermission or whatever when they did all the trailers. He did Don't. Oh, I did not realize that. But in general, look, I love him. I think uh, for the, for is it, I can never say it, the Coronetto trilogy, am I saying mm-hmm. it right? Yeah. That's correct. I think I come down on Hot Fuzz as my favorite, then Shaun of the Dead, and World's End, I only saw it one time. I can't like I liked it, didn't love it, but I'm, I'm certainly interested in watching it again. I feel like maybe my expectation level was a little high on that one. But I, I love the cast. I love the idea of it. Um, if I were to rank them, look, I'm going to tell you right off the bat. I love Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I fucking love this movie, and for me, I think it's probably my second favorite Edgar Wright film. I think it's Hot Fuzz, then Scott Pilgrim, and on the right night, I might tell you this is my favorite. I am going to be in love fest mode tonight for this. I'm so happy to see Rodney in love fest. I have never, I've never seen Rodney in love fest mode before. Have this is you exciting. forgotten our lady in the water? podcast? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget Jen? I, I think I blocked that out. Do you guys want to just talk about that some more? <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'm happy to see Rodney in love fest mode for a film that I can get behind as well. Well, I'm going to be a bit of the party pooper here then, because although I do like this film and I, I'll put it up front here, this is a good movie. It's an entertaining, fun movie. I think this movie's got some flaws, and I can also see why this movie wasn't a huge success. And I will be bringing those things up as we go along. But if I was going to rank Edgar Wright's movies, for me, it's World's End, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, then this, then Baby Driver. I wouldn't really count the Sparks documentary in here because it's not a narrative film. But that would be my ranking of his narrative films. I definitely like this better than Baby Driver. And I like Baby Driver just fine. Yep. But I like this better than that. We all have Baby Driver at the bottom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, agreed. We can all agree Baby Driver fucking sucks. <laughs> no, it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck at but all. But it's not my favorite. It's not my fave either. This is an interesting movie for him because it's not really coming from his own mind. This is him adapting somebody else's work. He was attached for many, many years to the Ant-Man movie, and he eventually walked away from it because they just couldn't agree on it. So that was the only other thing that he ever tried to adapt, and it didn't happen. Now, for whatever reason, I remember when this came out, I kind of looked at it and rolled my eyes at it. It just seemed too trying to be hip and cool for me. So I was kind of like, eh, I didn't see it when it came out. And I remember there was a lot of like nerd hype about it. A lot of the like nerd talk that I would be watching online. Everyone was like, oh, this is going to be the greatest movie ever. There's just the image of you like hunched over your computer. (laughs) watching like like the librarian like watching for nerd talk online like what a nerd 
I used to frequent chud.com's message boards, and I would have a lot of nerd discussions with people online. It was honestly my first real experience with communicating with people online before social media sort of came into vogue. And that was sort of where I would have movie discussions with people, and all the kids on the chud boards were super excited about this, so much to the point that I thought, like, wow, is this going to be some big cultural zeitgeisty thing like The Matrix that's just going to blow everyone's minds? Because the trailers were pretty impressive. It looked like some next level shit in a way. It was next level shit that I was kind of like too old for because it was just like, hey, video game references all the time or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really my thing. Although the band element of it was something that was appealing to me. And I played in 90s rock bands and stuff, so I could totally relate to that. But there was kind of a hip Uh, millennial kind of thing to it that I wasn't completely on board with. So I didn't see it in the theater. But when I eventually did see it on uh, DVD or whatever, I was like, yeah, that was good. Rodney, I imagine you were probably pretty pumped for this movie when it was coming out, right? You know, I, I literally can't remember how I felt at the time. I actually forgot to go back and watch the trailer because I kind of feel like when I first saw the trailer, I was not totally in. Like, I was like, I will see this but not pumped, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like if, you, if I saw a trailer with anything with a dragon, I'm probably going to go see it mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's going to be good or not. Me right? too, yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, <laughs> so as soon as I saw, like, here's some kind of, like, video game movie from the guy who did Shaun of the Dead, I was like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm in. There's just something that looks a little hyper-aggressive about it. it you know, like, like, it, like, I remember the trailer thinking thinking like this is trying to be too cool that's exactly kind of what i was trying to say that was kind of how i was feeling it seemed like it was trying to be too cool for me so i sort of rejected it outright i don't remember how i reacted to the trailer for it but i just was already in because of Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz so i was like it's that same guy i'm gonna go see what he's doing and i liked the cast and yeah i just i don't remember having like a whole lot of feelings about it other than i was like oh i'm gonna go see this and i did i saw it when it came out and then i think i i'm pretty sure i saw it also with the new beverly later on they were doing like a midnight showing or something later may have been you know a years or so later i can't remember but i've seen it in the theater a couple times and i liked it i was like oh this is cool and it's fun and i mean i'm not like a big gamer but like the video game references were like the last things that i did play on video games like you know the type of fighting games like i liked um killer instinct and uh tekken i think was tekken right that's a fighting Mm -hmm. game yeah and mortal Kombat. you know so like that was (laughs) they were kind of you know what's being represented in the film that's totally true and when i ended up seeing the movie i was like oh i know all these video game references this isn't at all too cool for me it's Actually, lots of video games that I'm very familiar with because, yeah, I played Mortal Kombat and all those games, too. So I was still cool enough for this. <laughs> I don't remember when I saw it, but I saw it in the first like week or two and I instantly lo- loved it. Like, I just loved it. I know I went back and saw this several more times while I was in theaters during yeah. its initial run. So, again, that's just the beginning of my love fest for this movie. But, like, it was a case of. When I watched the actual completed project, I was like, the trailer did not do this justice. I felt like this movie is way better than the trailer implied it would be. I just remember seeing the trailer and thinking it looked crazy, 
Like, and I was like, whoa, this is going to be some next level shit. And I remember people were sort of expecting this to sort of set the trend for movies going forward. Yep. Like yep. movies were going to look like this. Now this is the new cinema, like this and speed racer were you know, what a lot of nerds were really betting the farm on was going to be the next wave of cinema. And I have to say, I'm glad that that didn't happen. As much as I like this movie, I don't want a million movies copying this movie. Agreed. I got to tell you, I, I disagree. <laughs> Literally, when I was watching this last night, I, I had the same thought that I usually have, which is I wish more movies were like this. I wish I could, like, if I could go back in a time machine and, like, split split the timeline, I'd go back and make this be successful just to see what movies would have been made because of that event. We would be living in a hell far worse than the one we're in if that had happened. <laughs> I guarantee you there'd be at least three more Scott Pilgrim films for me. That wouldn't be so bad as long as they were directed by Edgar Wright, but I don't want to see a million Scott Pilgrim ripoffs. That would make me want to kill myself. <laughs> Shall we get into the movie? Oh, we're going to talk about the movie? That's, that's exciting. Okay. It's been a long time since I've been on your show, guys. I don't remember how it works. I don't know what happens here. So the movie starts off with uh, the Universal logo, but like all great films, we get this sort of take on the Universal logo, which is a, I don't know, 8-bit video game with the Universal theme in a like 8-bit video game rendition. I believe the nerd phrase would be chiptune. Ooh. Is that the nerd phrase? Wow, I've never heard that. I believe it's called chiptune. Like, there are people who record in that style and like it. Like, I know a guy who loves listening to chiptune music. That person is mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot confirm or deny. Uh, yeah, like, I think I heard a Game of Thrones done that way or whatever. I'm like, who are these insane fucking people that do this? Like, if you can just put it into a program and have it do it, then fine. But if people are actually expending their time making these chip tunes, then I think they're suffering from some sort of mental illness. But... The treatment of the logo is good, and it does set the tone for the movie. You know that video games are going to play a big part in this story. Like, I love whenever a movie messes with the movie studio um, title card or whatever you yeah. want to call it. The, uh, the opening thing. Logo. The logo, sure. I love it. You probably talked about it in Waterworld. Oh, yeah, that's the best one. That's the best one by far. <laughs> I, I loved it. <laughs> in fact, I'm just going to compare this movie to Waterworld the whole time, and it's going to come up short, in my opinion. Well, they, they both have scenes with people peeing. This is true. <laughs> I really like how the movie starts out. I think it's very clever and fun. Now, to be fair, I've never seen past this part, so... <laughs> You just turned it on and then saw this and was like, okay, I'm good. Five stars. I like it so much that I'm worried if I keep watching, it might let me down. So I like living with the idea of what the movie might be like. Mm -hmm. That's what we'll talk about, what it might be like. So after this, we're introduced to our hero, Scott Pilgrim, who is played by Michael Sarah. This was a little bit of a stretch for him. Not that much. I mean, around this time, Michael Sarah was kind of a big star. His star has kind of fallen over the past 10 years. I think he just really couldn't maintain a leading man status. I also think that he's gotten older and his weird boyish look doesn't work as well now on a guy in his mid-30s or whatever. 
But he's definitely a fine Scott Pilgrim. Now, Rodney, have you ever read the Brian Lee O'Malley comic? Nope. I know nothing about Scott Pilgrim other than I know it was a comic or is. I Like, I don't even know if it's a standalone tale or if it's like an ongoing comic. I think it's just a standalone, right? It may have been published in issues and everything, but there are storylines. It's not just like a one-off. It's kind of done manga style. In fact, I think they even read back to front like manga do. Right. I guess my question is, like, is the movie basically an adaptation of the all the volumes or just like one volume in the series was the movie? It's an adaptation of several volumes, okay. to my knowledge. So, like, I couldn't possibly tell you any other Scott Pilgrim stories. I know they did a video game adaptation of it, which is supposed to be good, but I've never played that either. Jen, I know you haven't read the, any of the comics, right? No, I was counting on Rodney to have read all the comics and to have played the video game. Well, weirdly enough, I'm the guy here that's actually read some of the comics. I have read some of the Scott Pilgrim comics. I read them before the uh, movie came out because... Robert had them, and I was like, oh, see what this Scott Pilgrim thing is going to be about. And I liked them. They're they're cute. They're very much in the sort of spirit of the movie. A lot of things in the movie are taken directly from the comic. I did, however, kind of feel that Michael Sarah was not necessarily my ideal choice for Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim in the comics is kind of more believable as sort of a nerdy, hunky guy. He's like kind of cute. And he, and I know Michael Sarah is technically cute, I guess, but he's definitely more on the weird looking side, in my opinion. Like you could have gone cuter, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Jen, what do you think of Michael Sarah? And what do you think of him as Scott Pilgrim? I think he's adorable and I think he's perfect for this. But, you know, I didn't read any of the comics, so I know how that is when you've like kind of got a, a, a person or an idea in mind when you've read something first, how, yeah. you know, that doesn't always translate. But I think he's the kind of the perfect like nerdy cute indie guy like it works for me i don't know I'm, I'm a fan of his i think he's i think he's adorable is it weird if i say i agree with both of you like again i've not read the comics but like i think michael Sarah is great in this movie even though i'm not really like a big michael Sarah fan but also like nothing against him you know like he's i feel like anytime i see him in a movie sometimes i like it sometimes i don't right I was actually thinking about that weird movie where he plays his own like twin with a mustache, you know, and like how everyone forgets that movie exists. Like, can you even name that movie in this moment? Nope. Nope. It challenged every listener listening. Can you name that movie right now on the top <laughs> of your head? No one can. <laughs> I don't know. I also feel like he's somehow slightly out of place in this movie, and I don't know why. I think it's because we're being asked to see him as sort of a lady killer in a way, which I, I struggle with a little bit. Like, I do recognize that nerdy guys have been pretty popular with women for a while now, but there's just something about him. Like when you pair him with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's like a bombshell babe, I'm kind of like, I'm not buying it. Like she's with Ewan McGregor now, who's like a god, a handsome god. Like, she's not going to end up with this dweeb. I'm sorry. You know, uh, my wife watches with me, and she loves this movie, too. But she said the same thing. The minute they have their first scene together, she's like, I just don't buy that, like, she would ever fall for this guy, right? But at the same time, I think within the context of the movie, like, Ramona Flowers, she's been hurt emotionally. She's in yeah. a fragile place. This guy's, like, genuinely nice. Yeah. And, like, 
she's just not a shallow person, you know what I mean? And so yeah. she connects with him emotionally. But at the same time, I'm sitting there being like, there is no way he would <laughs> yeah. pull this girl. This girl is so hot. That, like, it's just not going to happen. I think that's where it comes from. But like, in general, I think Michael Sarah's like timing in this movie is really like really good. Yes. Um, and he does deliver this kind of nervous energy to his performance, and I, which I guess is just how he built his career, right? That that he kind of does that shtick, and I think it really works in this movie. I'll do you one better. I'll say that I agree with everything you're saying, and I also say like he actually delivers physically pretty well like i know a lot of the fight stuff he's obviously got a stuntman or whatever but i feel like he sells the bass playing he mm -hmm. sells one when you do see him in the fights he's he's selling it it looks like he clearly put some effort into both things he's got that kind of geeky lanky physicality that i think works for the character so yeah i think i think he does a really good job in a lot of different aspects i agree with what rodney was saying is that ramona has had a bad run of luck with other exes and you know I think he feels safe and you know sweet and kind and I, I don't know I, I don't have a problem buying it because it's just what's happening at this time I mean you know that's just where he fits in her life right now even though she's like a super babe I've read all kinds of stories about like not very good looking guys who are sweet and won the lottery and now they're dating really beautiful women so <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's funny that you guys are sort of selling Scott as being this totally sweet, nice guy because right off the bat here, we're introduced to him and he's dating a 17-year-old high school student, Knives Chow, who is played by uh, an actress named Ellen Wong. And he's like 22 years old, so there's a kind of slight creepy thing going on there. You know, we find out later that he's come out of this relationship a year ago where he got his heart broken so he's kind of like aiming a little low and going for the the cute high school girl i don't know if scott's really that nice of a guy no i think i think scott goes on a journey throughout this film and he's got a good heart but yeah he's kind of you know he in the way that i think ramona is kind of going for the more safe choice. I feel like Scott is doing that with knives in the sense that it's like not in a creepy way of like being, you know, a 22 year old going out with a 17 year old because they're keeping the relationship very G and PG, like nothing's happening there, but he's also getting like worshiped by her. He's getting cool points with her yeah. because he's cool. He knows all the cool music. She doesn't know anything that's cool. So he's like getting an ego boost out of it. And, you know, she loves his band and everything. Right. Because his ego was completely like wrecked after his last relationship. I, I don't think he's, you know, a saint by any means, but I, you know, I think he's a, a sensitive guy who's like been through some shit this is what he's doing right now only in my rewatch last night did i really kind of like let myself think about the fact of this like dude's dating an underage girl right but like it doesn't seem like he has any bad intentions right like he's not like grooming her no you know at every point he is trying to actively prevent them from having any kind of like illegal sexual activity yes. right yeah and it's unclear if he's even interested you know like the movie doesn't really explain how they got together but i could see how like she had a crush on him for some reason and like he kind of just went with it and he's like he very clearly feels awkward about the fact that he's 
quote unquote dating this girl. At times he just kind of considers it like hanging out, you know? Yeah. It's a it's a weird topic. And I th- I guess like in an alternate timeline of the movie, if she turned 18, I think they absolutely would have sex, right? Like I don't think he's anti that idea. But he also is not like skeezy about this. I think he genuinely likes her. Yeah, he's doing it for ego reasons and not yeah. for predatory reasons. And that doesn't necessarily make him a good guy, but I wouldn't call him a bad guy either. Yeah. Well, let's talk for a moment about the band Sex Bob. What is it? Sex Bob. Sex Bob. One, two, three, four. <laughs> now, the music for um, Scott's band Sex Bob was mostly made by Beck, which you can kind of tell. Other people were involved. A lot of sort of indie artists at the time kind of got involved for the different music in this uh, movie, which I like a lot of the music. I think it's really fun. I think the sound of the band is spot on perfect for what a band like this would be like. In the band, we have Stephen Stills is like the guitarist and singer. He's billed as the talent of the band. He's played by an actor named Mark Weber, who's one of the more lesser known members of this cast that didn't really go on to much i think he's shown up in some things here or there but yeah he's good i like him i don't know why he didn't have kind of a bigger career ahead of him and then um allison pill is the drummer kim pine i really like her character she's kind of like a angry little redheaded girl who scott dated in high school and she still seems to be kind of bitter about their breakup She gets a lot of moments where we just get quick reaction shots of her sort of disapproving, scowling. She generally (sighs) leads off the bands one, two, three, four. So, yeah, I like I like the band. I like the sound of the band. Also, we have sort of hanger on young Neil, who is played by Johnny Simmons, who was the actor that we saw in Jennifer's Body. And he's a minor character here. He's sort of more in the background, but he has a couple of moments. It sort of bothers me that Steven stills plays an acoustic guitar <laughs> most of the movie and it's got like the, the, this grungy rock but he's playing an acoustic guitar like i know like i've had acoustic guitars where you could plug them in and stuff so i mean technically yeah you could make an acoustic guitar sound that grungy if you wanted to but it's like come on dude just give him an electric guitar i don't know why this is what they chose as the look of this guy but i do like the music and i do love scott's rickenbacker bass i think it's really cool and i really like the way the music is sort of portrayed in the movie visually a lot of times we'll see like waves of sound coming out or we'll see the notes they're playing like d d d d d e e e as a musician and a guy in a band this is definitely the stuff in the movie that speaks to me the most and i do feel like they generally get the band dynamic thing right and it's funny and fun and cool uh well i've never been in a band but it seems like it the the dynamic seems right i don't like the music Hmm. specifically the music of scott pilgrim's band right and i did not know that's beck but that makes sense because i don't like beck's music either no offense to all the beck fans well it's beck doing a very like primitive he said he took him like five minutes to come up with the songs because he was trying to come up with like you know, bad songs, right. basically. Uh, within the context of the movie, like, I get it. It's just not the kind of music I like. It's like that, I don't know. It just sounds like the kind of music that every Quentin Tarantino fight scene would have over it, you know? Like, it reminds me of, like, the band from Kill Bill before the big fight at the end. The the Ya Ya Yeah, it's like garage band. Oh, yeah, I hate that shit. I'm sorry. It's the exact opposite of what I like. I like my music sounding like 
seven guys in suits all had like six million dollar mixing boards and they adjusted every tiny that would make no sense for this movie though i love this movie i'm just telling you that like i don't put on the scott pilgrim soundtrack don't make me defend this movie i'm supposed (laughs) to be the hater here i think it's awesome that he has an acoustic guitar that makes total sense with all of the music background i have um I think it's funny how she goes like, we are Sex Bomb and we are here to rock. One, two, three, four. And then they, she starts playing. But the song that comes there, I'm just like, nah, like, let's just move on. The only song I like in the movie, I think, I, again, there's some like background music, you know, like just shit that's on the soundtrack that's pretty good. But I like later in the movie when they go see his ex-girlfriend. It's like uh, Demons at the Threshold or whatever the, the group is called. Uh, the song they play, I like. That's so funny because I hate that song. That song was written by a band called Metric. And actually, they based Brie Larson, who plays Envy Adams, the lead singer. They based her look on the singer for Metric. And it's funny because a couple of summers ago, I saw Smashing Pumpkins live and Metric opened up for them. And I didn't know Metric. I didn't. They're not a band I was aware of. But looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, totally. That's who they based this character's look on. That. That music it was just it's such a it's such a time period too like it's such like 2008 to 2010 type sound like not muse i don't know i can't it's just not really it's kind of like Muse. yeah and i do like muse but like this for some reason i don't know it's funny because it's just like rodney and i are having the total opposite experience because i love garage sounding music like i oh, love God, that grungy no. sound so i'm like super here for the sex bomb and what they're doing and i i just think it's i think it's perfect for who they are and what they would sound like and i don't know i think it's super fun i want to be clear i'm not suggesting i want them to change because like that's who they are that's their characters that's the music they write they are a garage band aspiring for bigger aspirations right it's just like if you told me i could go to the palladium and see 90 minutes of that band I would say no thank you. Like, hard pass. I get what you're saying. No, I understand, too. You wouldn't be a fan of Sex Bob-omb. You wouldn't be going to their show. Well, but you might go to their show, like, if it was, like, at, like, a dive bar or something, because that would make more sense. It wouldn't be, like, you know, where you have to go and, like, go through the whole Palladium experience or whatever. Is someone buying my drinks? Someone is buying you lots of drinks. Then I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> They're, after a while, their music might start to get really good. See, there you go. Now, one thing that's going on in this movie is there is a kind of large cast of sort of these minor supporting characters in Scott's world. We're going to get a lot more characters once the plot kicks in, but we have his sister, Stacy Pilgrim, who's played by Anna Kendrick. We have um, Aubrey Plaza as a friend, Julie Powers. We have one of the Culkins, Kieran Culkins as Wallace Wells, his gay roommate, who I really like him in the movie. Mm -hmm. But I do feel one problem this movie kind of has for me is there's too many of these kind of peripheral characters like you could have taken his sister and the Aubrey Plaza character and made that one character we don't need two characters that are both basically kind of giving him a hard time like just make them one character disagree you could have gotten this down to a more manageable group 
So you're suggesting that we cut Anna Kendrick or Aubrey Plaza from the movie? No, make them, yes, one of them, make them <laughs> the same character. No one listening agrees with you. That's a terrible What idea. point is Anna Kendrick in this movie? What point does her character serve? She does nothing. She doesn't even get mad when her boyfriend gets stolen. She's she doesn't sister. do anything. I know, but she does not serve a purpose. She absolutely does. She has a heart-to-heart with him on the swing set. That's all she does in the whole movie. Well, but that's a big moment. She she changes his worldview. She's like, is she the one? And she makes him realize that Ramona Flowers is the one, and that's what makes him go fight for her. Well, then, what point does uh, Aubrey Plaza's character have? She's just giving him give him a hard time. Like she's there, which is the same thing that his sister. No, is doing. no, 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 no. It's, it's different. different. They're different. I disagree too. I, I agree with Rodney. I I think they both serve a purpose, and it's like. It's Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza. Like, come on. I want them both in the movie. I want everybody in the movie. Yeah. I think Anna Kendrick is really good in the movie. I think Aubrey Plaza is sort of tiresome. I think she's just doing the Aubrey Plaza like, oh my God, ugh, the whole time. She Her character is annoying. I would say get rid of her. Disagree. Yeah, disagree, man. I like Aubrey Plaza. I actually think Aubrey Plaza has turned into a pretty decent actress considering that she started off as this one note kind of thing. But I just think here she's doing the Aubrey Plaza hardcore and it's kind of boring. Look, she's in like three minutes of the movie, maybe total. Yeah, but it's the worst three minutes of the movie. No. Nah, man, it's it's funny. She's great. I really enjoy her just like, and I love when he's like... Because she works at the the record store or whatever, and then he goes to the coffee shop. He's like, "Where do you work? Everywhere?" And she's like, "It's called having jobs and being employed." And she's just ripping into him. It's really funny. She's working at the club too. Later. Yeah, she works at the club. Yeah, and she's the one that's throwing the party. Like she's she's in there. She's doing stuff. I'm gonna give you a really nerdy answer, but here's what it is: the larger the cast is, and the way that the the characters just keep popping in for little pieces of like like a line here or there. It gives the movie this like really high frenetic energy mm-hmm. that that keeps it moving in this and like that's one of the things I love about the movie, right? I don't want my dinner with Andre. This mo- I want a fucking coke fueled video game fest with like garage band music. I love that Audrey Plaza just like pops her head into frame to say one mean thing and then she disappears. That's fucking funny to me. Yeah, it's the same. It's no different than Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, there's like six hundred characters and they all just have one line here or there. And they all need to be there. Every single one of them. Yeah. Who would you cut from Hot Fuzz? No one. Sebastian, are you saying you hate Hot Fuzz? How (laughs) dare you? No, I love Hot Fuzz. And the difference with Hot Fuzz is in every single one of those characters has some kind of payoff. Hot Fuzz is one of the most tightly written screenplays. Like everything that is set up in that movie pays off. Even if it's just like one thing at the beginning and then one thing at the end everything ties together and pays off. This just feels like it has a bunch of characters that have been sort of scattershot into the movie that just pop up and a lot of them don't really serve a purpose or do anything. Sounds like you don't like having fun. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) That's definitely it. I definitely don't like having fun. Sebastian hates fun. One thing that is fun is the presence of Ramona Flowers, who is played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And what happens is that Scott sees this girl roller skating through his dreams, or she's like, uh, what's the word of those skates called? Rollerblades. And she's got this wild 
punky colored hair and he's in love with her. He finds out that she's an Amazon delivery girl. And so he orders on Amazon just to meet her. He meets her and they end up going on a date. So we get the beginning of this romance, unbelievable romance, perhaps, but um, it is endearing. I do really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead here. She definitely fits the bill as a sort of proto-manic pixie dream girl, although I don't think she's that manic. She's pretty cool. I love her. I think she's perfect for this, and I I like her in in other things as well. I think she's a really good actor, and she is just really pretty. And um, she is. She's very chill. She's not trying to play any sort of games with him with Scott I think she genuinely likes him and like we spoke about earlier she's been through some some shit so she's just wanting to kind of have a safe nice time with somebody so yeah I think I think she does a great job in this role look I didn't know who she was when I saw this I don't know if she was like famous at this point like I she she clearly had been in things and like since then I now know her I know her as like the woman from Cloverfield basement or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. and um, you know Harley Quinn, the Thing remake mm-hmm. or Thing reboot. Oh, that's right, she's in that too. That's a great movie too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I if she's in a movie, I probably like it. Uh, but when I saw this movie, I remember thinking two things, which I still think even when I watch it now. Which is one, she is just so hot like i'm i I hate to like be so blunt but i think she's so beautiful in this movie and i think her character is really good i don't know she brings this like vulnerability to the role and she's just like a really good actress and now that i've seen her in more parts i can now say she is a good actress you know i don't know i think she's a highlight of the film i mean the highlight is like all the video game nonsense but like she's fantastic but i remember seeing this in theater and having such a crush on her and then i didn't even know this term manic pixie dream girl like people started using it more after this. And I was like, I don't know exactly what that is, but I think I want one. Well, you brought up the sort of uh, video game craziness. So why don't we talk about that for a second? Now, one of the features of this film is that there's a lot of sort of metatextual craziness going on. We're getting words on the screen that are giving you information. We're getting video game references. We'll see sort of icons pop up and sounds. And at one point he goes to the bathroom to take a pee and you see this bar come up that tells you how much pee he has and Mm -hmm. it goes down you know this is the sort of new cinema element of this film i definitely chafed at it initially but i have come to enjoy it i think it's fun it's cool it's very uh innovative in a sense and it definitely captures the spirit of sort of gaming culture but i'm not really a big gamer rodney you are why don't you tell me how you feel about this stuff yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm a huge gamer. It's not like in video games, there's words that pop up when, you, you know, like when you when you fire your gun, it doesn't say bang, 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 you know? But words pop up. Do you not play video games? I, all right, all right, I got to admit something. I've never actually, I've watched some <laughs> YouTube videos of video games. <laughs> Look, every video game is different, you know? But like, I think what Scott Pilgrim is doing is I think those elements are actually more like comic book elements. You know, I think it's much more common for someone to flick a light switch in a comic book and the word click to be written above the the, the light switch. And then you yes. see it in the movie. Scott Pilgrim is like, it's like a blend of comic book things, video game things, 
and rock things, right? Yes. The comic book elements of it, while I'm not a big comic book reader, I genuinely appreciate them. I like I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is the click moment where he just turns off he turns on or off the light in his apartment. And for just like a frame, it says the word click. And I was like, yeah. I caught that, you know? I love, like you said, when he when they play the guitar and, like, the D notes fly out of it, you know? I'm going to go just say I'm a big words-on-screen guy because I've always loved, like, the Tony, like, Tony Scott films like Domino and Man on Fire where there's just weird fucking subtitles. I love... My favorite part in The Faculty is just in the beginning when you're meeting everyone and it freeze frames with their name. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just an, a words-on-screen kind of guy. Like Rodney, there are these things called books that are amazing because they're like all words. Like there's nothing else. No, it's like, too it's much. Just words. Too much. <laughs> books. Check them out. Books, you say? Does that have anything to do with that that reading stuff the kids talk about? When it comes to, I mean, we can talk about the video game stuff. I feel like the video game stuff in this movie. I, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. It 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 tickles my fancy. I think it's like very over the top and like it's. Even compared to something like Street Fighter, it's, you know, it's it's very goofy, but like, I don't know, it's clearly made by someone who loves video games and comics and, and, and music, you know? Some of my favorite parts in this movie are just like when it's just like the two the opponents facing off and it goes like versus, you know? The minute I saw that, I started applauding in the theater. The other people in the theater must have hated you. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was awkward. I can tell you that. I love all of those things, too. I think it's like it just sets the tone for the film. It's like letting you know that kind of anything can happen in this film. Like, you know, it's it's really kind of taking you out of reality, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like really opening up like the possibilities as to how this is all going to play out. But yeah, I also like words on screen too, Rodney. I like like pow. I mean, I love like the old Batman TV episodes with all of that. I mean, it's just super fun. It all works perfectly well with Edgar Wright's, let's call it hyperactive Mm -hmm. um, sort of filming and editing style. Can I tell you one part that I love that we just, I just want to very briefly touch on? Sure, yeah. It's when he's first trying to find out who Ramona Flowers is and he goes to the party. Yes. And he holds up a, a picture and it's basically just like a circle circle with like squiggly lines on it and he goes have you seen this girl and that guy's like yeah that's ramona flowers like i think that is one of the best jokes in any movie it's so great that scene is this hilarious and then just this at the party when he's trying to get intel on ramona and just going around and asking people like it is it's it's edgar wright's like really like frantic kinetic have you talked to her do you know who she is you know and he's just like zipping around and it's just and and then we get aubrey plaza being like do not talk to her you know it's just like (laughs) the editing in this film i i genuinely mean this i think this should have been nominated for best editing at the oscars if not one, it is sad that this movie has not been recognized for the incredible editing done in it. There are these, there are these parts, even like little, little, little touches that are like, oh, we got to get to the battle of bands at the, and before they finish the sentence, it like cuts to the club and you just see the name, you know, like that's cool. This movie's, this movie's so fucking cool guys. When we get to the end and we get to the part about like, why don't people, why didn't people see it? It's because people aren't cool. Most people aren't cool and they don't, they don't like cool things. 
I'm talking to you, listener. I think there's some other reasons, but we'll get there. So the next major thing that happens is that Scott's band gets to play in a battle of the bands. And meanwhile, Scott's trying to kind of let knives down easy now that he started dating Ramona unbeknownst to her, which all comes to a head at this club because he's invited both of these girls to come see them play at this battle of the bands. And they're both there. He doesn't know what to do. They both don't know that he's been dating the other one. And you get these kind of fun, comedic, awkward moments. But we get this fun scene where we're seeing the first band play. I really enjoy the first band. Like they're playing these songs that are just like two notes. And like Wallace is giving them a hard time from the balcony. And they're like, this song is for that guy. And then they play another song. But it's fun. And this band has got some cool guitars. There's a Gibson SG and stuff. I'm just going to nerd out about the guitars. Scott's band starts to play. And then what happens is this amazing hipster Indian guy comes crashing through the window and challenges Scott to a fight. He's crashing through the window and flying into the club. So reality has now been completely heightened and we're seeing people fly around and do martial arts, crazy martial arts and special effects and stuff. The reality of the movie is completely sort of shattered, any sort of reality it had. And we're in a fantasy basically now. And this is all very true to the comic. We get this challenger, um, Matthew Patel, who claims to be one of Ramona's seven evil exes and Scott is going to have to fight all seven evil exes if he wants to win Ramona. So this is the central conflict and the plot of the movie is Scott having to face off against all these crazy exes. And this first fight is pretty great because Matthew Patel is, you know, he's an Indian American, but he's also sort of gothy hipster, but he's got this sort of crazy, they call it, he, he, they say he looks like a pirate. <laughs> and he's like, pirates are in this year. And he does this whole like, Bollywood sort of song routine where these demon women appear behind him. I think this is actually, when I look at the movie, this I think is kind of the best fight scene in a way like Edgar Wright clearly throws everything he has into this first fight scene which is really you know telling you okay this is the movie this is really what the movie is about it's crazy I'm going all out with this it's great it's bonkers and like yeah it's like now you know we've been kind of setting the the tone that this is all bets are off when this happens like now we know like exactly what we're getting into and I love uh, because when you go back to when he uh when Scott first learns that Ramona works for Amazon, he gets on like this old computer, you know, and he's like, Oh, I, it says, I think it says you've got mail or something like that. He's like, Oh, I have an email or something. And so he checks it and it's, it's a message from this guy. It's from Matthew Patel. And he's telling him like, I am coming to get you. We are going to battle. And he just like, Scott's like boring and he just deletes it. So it's like, anyway, when, when Matthew Patel shows up and then he's like, you know, didn't you get my email? I said I was coming. It was just, I just, those little small details are just, it's, it's so great. And, um, the whole like setup of the Battle of the Bands with having Ramona and Knives there. I've seen this movie a handful of times now. 
it still makes me so uncomfortable. I'm so like just on edge, even though I know what's going to happen. But I'm like, they're both here. And like, and he's like on stage and he's looking up in the balcony and they're like sitting next to each other. And his sister's like totally trolling the whole situation. She's like, so how did you meet, you know, Scott? And how did you know? It's just it's just great. But yeah, that that when Matthew shows up and yeah, the whole the demon girls, like the, just all of it is just, it's so over the top and so awesome. And the, the fighting is great. It's, it's just, the choreography is, is fantastic. It's so much fun. Yeah. Like I, I like how the other characters in the movie are responding to what they're seeing in this way. That's like, I acknowledge that this is like unusual, mm-hmm. but also no one finds it odd that people are flying around or that there's demon girls, right? It's a weird line to walk because I think someone even says like, you're seeing this, right? And then he's like, yeah, but no one ever says like, wait, how did that dude summon d- succubus dancers, right? <laughs> the fight sequences themselves, they feel mostly inspired by like anime. Yeah. It has a very anime kind of, you know, like, people flying with their fists through the air while like like white lines rush past them, right? I can get how if that's not your thing, this is probably off-putting, but that is my thing, right? This is not my favorite fight in the movie, but it is awesome. It is a great fight. It's a nice length. The part that Jen that you referenced where he's like he's like, "Didn't you get my email?" and and he's like, "Yeah, I I skimmed it." And like yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, he's like, I thought it was 70 X's. I, I, I thought it was pretty clear, you know, like I think, yeah, <laughs> again, the, 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 the comedic timing in this segment is fantastic. I love it. I, I think this fight might go on a little too long, but it is the first fight. And so they are establishing a sort of uh, whatever you want to call it. They're establishing a thing, a precedent, a precedent, a precedent. I feel I would be remiss if I didn't uh, give the actor who plays Matthew Patel's name. I've never seen him in anything else before, I don't think. His name is Satya Baba. But he's good. He's really good. I've not seen this guy. Now, is it maybe a little offensive that it goes kind of Bollywood? I mean... I was wondering. I... I Look, I, I tend to not be offended by most things. And when I was watching this last night the tiniest little couple hairs in the back of my neck stood up and said, that's a little offensive. Yeah. They definitely play into his Indian heritage. There's like the music kind of goes Bollywood. He does some sort of like almost like belly dancer moves and stuff. So they're definitely pulling cultural things out from his background to use in this craziness. Obviously, I'm not personally offended by it, but I wonder if I was an Indian American, if I might think that was a little bit insensitive. I also think this was 2010. So, you know, I I don't think you'd be seeing that now. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think like people would be a little more. I think we're all a little more aware of that. I don't know. I don't know if any of us had that thought in 2010. No, I'm sure I didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just it is where it is. But um I also think it's I, I think it's cool that this happens throughout when we meet the other evil exes when you get like Ramona's kind of backstory as to how she was with this person and we get like you know a little bit of animated like mm-hmm. they were this guy was like they hated all the jocks in their town and he was the only non-white person he was a you know I think she says he was a brown person or whatever and so they they banded together and like took down all the jocks and so so they are you know definitely calling out that 
he is a different ethnicity and he's you know different from all the other white folks so i don't know that's part of it too of, of kind of elevating his um indianness so to speak it's certainly not terrible no just uh, sort of a note those animated sequences are done in brian o'malley's style oh, cool. so that that's what the comic looks like awesome i don't know if he actually did them but they're definitely done in his style you see the comic book version of scott pilgrim in the movie is it the is it the one up yes yeah okay that's how he looks in the comic we should note that uh scott wins this fight and when he defeats one of the evil exes they turn into a bunch of coins they explode in a cloud of quarters it's fucking awesome yeah <laughs> like mario brothers or yeah. sonic the hedgehog yeah. or whatever dude i i just i remember being in the theater and he, i forget how he what the finishing blow is doesn't he uppercut him maybe but whatever he finishes him off Something. and he like goes and quarters everywhere and the little like 1000 bonus points showed showed up yep. and i was just like this, you fucking get me, Edgar, right? You get me. Now, let me ask you guys this. So when Scott defeats the evil exes, is he killing them? And if he is, <laughs> why is he not being arrested for manslaughter? Because there's no body. Are these people dead? You got to have a body. I don't know if they're... I, yeah, I guess, Rodney, you're correct. There should be a body. Trust me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All too well. Um, I don't give it that much thought, honestly. Like, I'm, I don't know if they, like, are gone forever or if they're in some other realm now or something. I don't know. I don't really care. Of course it's ridiculous that I'm bringing yes. this up because, of course, this is not what you're supposed to be thinking. However, I do feel that the movie may be hard for some people to digest just in the fact that, like, the reality of it is so sort of ill-defined it's maybe hard for some people to process how they really feel about things that happen in the movie because it's so cartoonish and there is no real consequences for everything. Like, obviously, the movie is going after themes and, you know, there is a real story being told here about somebody having to grow up and accept responsibility for their behavior and all that. There are real things in here. But I do think that for some people, especially literally minded people, this could be a struggle for them to sort of get past this like well what happened to that guy he just disappears into coins or whatever like the next evil x that um scott is going to face off on is lucas lee <laughs> who is played by the awesome chris evans this was before he took over as captain america in the marvel universe he's playing a skateboarder turned hollywood actor like action star playing him as this like dude bro like to the max like dude bro <laughs> so times 10 good. but he's actually filming a movie they sort of wander into this film set and um wallace is obsessed with lucas lee and watches his like terrible action movies and so he's all excited that lucas lee is making a movie and then while filming the scene, he sees Ramona and Scott and Ramona's like, uh oh, and Scott's like, what? And Lucas is like, hey, you, I mean, you and like pointing to Scott. And so they get into this big fight 
where like Lucas Lee is just like kicking Scott's ass because he's this buffed out bro. And like Ramona is like, yeah, I knew him in drama class or whatever. So, you know, you, you get this sort of idea that he wasn't always this cool and this much of a bro. But yeah, they, they get into this fight They're You know, Scott's throwing him through like the backdrop and everything. But Scott eventually plays into his ego and tricks him into skateboarding down this railing this icy railing down a set of stairs which ends up defeating lucas lee but how do you guys feel about lucas lee and chris evans as lucas lee i love chris evans and i love him as lucas lee and you forgot to mention about um, all the stunt doubles that he has he has like right yeah like a whole gang of lucas lee's that come after scott as well which is just great but yeah they're standing there and wallace is like stalking uh, Lucas Lee, because he thinks he's hot, and um, and yeah, Ramona's like, oh, we should get out of here. Like, we we shouldn't be here, you know. Like, it's and it's like, oh no, not him too, you know. But yeah, Chris Evans is just a delight. He's just so much fun to watch, and I love that that that's how he ends up defeating him is because he's like, can you you say so you can you know do tricks? Can you do a thingy? And he's like a thingy he's like that's you know it's like, called a grind bro <laughs> and it's just you know he's going on and he's like those are really unsafe stairs and da 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 and he's like well you know if you don't want to do it or whatever and so then he hops up there and it's just as he's like flying down and you can just see the miles per per hour getting faster and faster it's just and then it's just this giant explosion of coins it's it's pretty great. I think, I mean, Chris Evans is great in this. And like, there's just not a lot of time in the movie for everyone to have a part, like you you said. So I, I wish there was more of him. Like, I think he is hilarious. And I, again, I, when I saw the movie, I was not, I didn't really know who he was. Like, I don't even remember if Fantastic Four had been out, like, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, his like dude bro performance is great. I love the 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 general like fight with the stuntmen and their skateboards. <laughs> the one thing that just, it, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence about it is the way he beats him. Cause like, it feels like he didn't actually, it's like he didn't really beat him. You know what I mean? He yeah. kind of got lucky. Like I understand that the idea behind it is he tricks him into it knowing that it will be dangerous. Right. But it's not like set up earlier that like he knows that this one staircase is deadly for a reason. You know, like I don't, I can let it go because I like so much about the movie. But this one, I just don't love that he skateboards to death. Well, this brings up an interesting question because Scott will also trick somebody else later into losing. On one hand, I kind of appreciate that Scott has to sort of use his cleverness to win Mm -hmm. in a few cases where he's clearly outmatched. On the other hand, it does sort of diminish him as a fighter or whatever. But it's sort of weird that we're supposed to buy into him as being this skilled fighter. I think this is another thing that people might struggle a little bit with the movie. And that is that this sort of nerdy, unassuming, wimpy guy suddenly becomes this super-powered superhero who can battle people martial arts style when the movie calls for it. I mean, obviously, I'm not asking for, like, a training sequence where Scott Pilgrim figures out how to fight people, but it is a little jarring that one minute he's just this, like, meek, mild, skinny, indie rock guy, and then the next minute he's, like, 
kicking people martial arts style with his punching them and all that. We do get that sequence with he and Knives at the video arcade. And right. I think we're to believe because he's a skilled gamer that somehow that translates because he and Knives, I love that, by the way, that choreography for that where they're doing like yeah. that fighting game, which is like Dance Dance Revolution, but it's like the fighting, like they're totally like in coordination. And he, she like- It's d- like a ninja fighting Dance Dance Revolution Yeah, and game. she does like the- you know like the kind of cartwheel across him and everything like they're so and it's also saying at that time that they're so in sync you know in their relationship because we cut to a scene later on when he's trying to break it off with her and like he's just like not she's still like full force going and he's just like and it's just his like characters dying or whatever but anyway yes i see what you're saying because of him being this like indie rocker cute nerdy guy he's not supposed to be this badass but i just took it as that since he is a gamer that somehow this is translated into the fighting i can buy that i can buy that you know i i sebastian i think you you kind of you summed it up well because it's like when he fights Matthew Patel, the minute Matthew Patel comes through the window, like Scott Pilgrim goes into fighting mode and he like blocks his punch. He's like got a fighting stance. And when he fights the skateboarders, he's like he's kicking ass. Right. And he's doing all these badass moves. But then he's like, I can't. I, I, I guess suddenly he's like, I no longer can fight, you know, Lucas Lee. So I have to like trick him into this. It's like sometimes Scott Pilgrim is an awesome fighter. And sometimes yeah. he's a weak indie rock kid who has to use his brain. And it sort of makes a weird unevenness to the, 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 the fight sequences. But I also understand that seven martial arts sequences in a row could get old, you know? As the fights go on, he does have to rely on other things and other people. Like he has to rely on yeah. his wits for a couple of other fights. He has to rely on... Ramona for one of the fights too and then ultimately he like levels up as a fighter because it's like he gets like courage and he gets heart and he gets balls you know like all these like you know he's like video game stuff like that happens so then he's able to do it more himself but I think in the beginning he just he can't but to Rodney's point except when he can yeah well yeah that's the thing yeah it would make sense if he couldn't fight any of these people to begin with but then got more confident and was able to do it the way the movie presents it the first fight he can immediately do all these moves and then later when the script needs him to not be able to fight he can't you know the whole reality of the movie is completely kind of up in the air and cartoony and it just goes wherever it wants to go and that is totally fine i'm not one of those people that needs everything to be logical and everything i'm only bringing it up because i can see these things as things that might bother people who are of a certain mindset you know i was sitting here trying to think of any movie that's even similar and i finally did and it's kung fu hustle which i also fucking love i don't know if you guys have seen kung fu hustle i have a long time ago okay but like you know, you got like people like flying around, people are throwing, like using musical notes to cut people in half and shit. And like, it's so bonkers that it, the movie tells you very early, just like turn that off, right? Like turn off your logic needs. And so that's why it doesn't really bother me, but I get that some people can't turn that off. And they're like, what do you mean he turned into quarters? Well, I feel like then this isn't the movie for you then. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, fucking stay home. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I just picture this like, 
like this guy, like that scene, you know, the detective turns in his gun and his badge and it says like logic police. And he just like puts it on the, the chief's desk. Exactly. He's like, I'm out, boss. I'm out. And I feel that this movie does from the get go, let you know that we're not in reality. We're in like some other different version of reality. You know, we don't even know what year we're supposed to be in, you know, because it's, Mm -hmm. it's obviously it's, it's 2010 when it came out, but because of like the flip phones and the old computers and stuff, it's like, I don't really know. I don't know what this is supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be early 2000s, which is when the the comic book was written. And we should say this all takes place in Toronto. It's a very Canadian movie. I guess um, Edgar Wright actually lived in Toronto for a year before he filmed the movie so he could really get a feel for it, which I think is cool that he was that dedicated to it. Like he and Brian Lee O'Malley would walk around and talk about different places that were important. Like the, the pizza place they go to is a real pizza place and Toronto a lot of the um, venues are real venues the interiors are sets but like you know they're based on real venues and stuff so they were very faithful to the city of Toronto to my top 100 cities what is it like number 99 it's not important where it lands <laughs> it made the list it is cool I haven't been there in many years but when, um, when I was working for the airlines years and years ago we had that was one place we flew and I was there once for like a jazz festival or something. Anyway, it was, it's, it's a cool place. I'd like to go back. Yay, Toronto. Tent pole trauma brought to you by Toronto. <laughs> In the meantime, Scott has finally managed to man up and break up really poorly with knives. And she's going to prove that she's as cool as Ramona Flowers by like dyeing her hair blue too. And another thing that's going on is that Scott's ex, Envy Adams, and her band, something at Demon Head. What are they called? I never can remember the name. The incident at Demon Head. Crash on Demon Head or Crash something on like Demon that. Head. I think that I think that's what it is. Crash on Demon Head. We'll just call them Demon Head because yeah, it's a hard name to remember. But Envy Adams and her band is coming back into town. She's called Scott to check up on him. And Envy Adams is played by Brie Larson. And I know Brie Larson has become something of a kind of controversial figure in the nerd realm. I don't care. I like her. I'm not that crazy about her as Captain Marvel, but I like her as an actor. And I like her a lot in this role as Envy Adams. She does a very sort of stylized way of talking that I think works really well. First of all, it's The Clash at Demon Head. That's what the the band is called. The Clash at... You are close with Crash. Yeah. I like Brie Larson a lot. I do like her as Captain Marvel. And um, I think she's she's great in this. And I yeah, I, to say what you were saying, Sebastian, I appreciate the... her stylized way of talking in this yeah she's you know she's scott's i guess scott's evil ex she's the one that broke his heart uh big time and so she's coming or has come back to town um because she's gone off what she she went off to montreal to be with her because her best friend needed her and they ended up being together and they're in a band together now and her best friend slash boyfriend now Todd is played by Brandon Routh and I love this character so 
much. Why do you love this character so much, I wonder? Oh, it's just, it was the sweetest plum. When I saw this in the theater, I lost my mind. I was laughing so hard. It was so just so great do you have like a thing for brandon ralph no i don't but i i'm i've been vegan for many years and i just found this to be just the sweetest plum was so great that he was like this horrible guy who has all these superpowers because he's he's vegan and his hair and his like eyes and just the floating and just all of it's just so over the top and so playing into so many different stereotypes it just it, it it was just so wonderful this sequence is my favorite part of the movie it's so great from the minute they get to the show through the whole fight with todd this is just like it's everything i want it, with with an exception which we're going to talk about I, brie larson when i saw this movie i didn't i brie, the words brie larson meant nothing to me same yeah she wasn't famous yeah and... when i watched it last night and i saw brie larson in the credits i was like wait who does she play and then when she showed up i was like wait is that brie larson you know, it doesn't really matter what I think about Brie Larson. I don't know. I never saw Room. I'm sure she's great in it. She won an Oscar, right? And like, mm -hmm. look, I don't like Captain Marvel. I'm sorry. I know I'm supposed to, but I don't. I don't like her. And <laughs> and like, you know what? I don't, I don't, nothing against Brie Larson. I just don't like her. But she's good in this. I think she's good in this. I like, I like her. Whatever she's doing, I think it's pretty funny. But like, when I hear Brie Larson's in a thing, that's, a minor detractor like it makes me go oh do i want to see that that's where i'm at with brie larson ouch sorry sorry everyone <laughs> i didn't know who she was back then either but i am i am a fan i think she's a great actor and room is great it's heart-wrenching but it's great brandon routh however i remember seeing him later as a superhero it wasn't he he's the superman right he's superman he's superman in a terrible movie right. called superman nope. returns yep. which nope. sucks no and he, he's Stop. the superman in that no it's You're, a terrible you, awful superman no. movie it's really a great movie in which <laughs> superman does nothing but lifts things over and over and over it's offensive it's an awful terrible film no and he plays a facsimile of christopher reeve in it and it's awful. It has some of the best Superman moments in any Superman movie. I think he's great in this. And it sort of almost plays off of that abomination of a movie because he's this kind of Superman-like character, but he's this like Superman bass player and he's got an awesome Mustang bass. But yeah, when they're all hanging out backstage and they're having this sort of uncomfortable moment and Knives is there and Knives is like fangirling out. And at one point, like he punches the blue dye right out of poor Knives' <laughs> hair. Oh, and then we find out that, yeah, he's super powered by the power of veganism <laughs> and he just completely like kick scott's ass all over the place and we just think there's no way scott's going to be able to beat this vegan guy but then scott challenges him to a base off this is one of my favorite moments because they've both got their bases and they're just sort of facing each other and like basing at mm -hmm. each other and you're seeing like the notes go and they're like going back and forth and uh todd's even kind of beating him at the base war i have to say oh yeah he's way better todd's got more moves yeah. even on the base but then eventually scott does trick todd into drinking a latte 
that's got <laughs> half and half in it and not soy. And that summons the vegan police. And the vegan police are played in kind of funny cameos by Thomas Jane and Clifton Collins Jr. And they find out that not only has Todd uh, drank the half and half, but he's also... First, he had willingly had gelato. Is what right. he said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they were, he was like, gelato is a vegan. They're like, it's eggs and dairy or whatever, you know, like, and they're just so like matter of fact and so quick about like the infractions. And then he was like, and then you willingly ingested chicken Parmesan. And he's like, chicken isn't vegan. And it's yeah. just, it's just so, and then they just, I mean, it's just so great. And they take his powers away and his hair deflates. I love when like Scott goes to punch him. And he goes, and his eyes like turn white and like he like holds out his hand and just like suspends Scott in the <laughs> air. And like this weird like hypnotic spiral effect happens. Like that is the coolest fucking thing. Uh, the base battle is awesome. The vegan police thing is really lame. It's kind of a letdown to a really awesome fight. Because up till then, he's like such a badass. He wouldn't have made it, Rodney. I know. But that's kind of like what makes movies awesome is watching someone overcome an, uh, an impressive physical opponent you know yeah but he wasn't gonna overcome this guy no way yeah, i know i know i'm just look i'm just being honest i i hear you. it's fine it's okay you can have your opinion even if it's wrong <laughs> they set up the vegan thing they have to pay it off yeah i think it makes sense with what they're setting up if they were gonna have him just defeat him normally then take out all of the vegan stuff because yeah. otherwise why is it there it's there just so scott can figure out a way to beat him with his own self-righteousness I totally get it. I'd rather I'd rather he drinks the half and half and then he says there was half and half in that and then he blows up. It's the fact that the vegan yeah. police show up and the fact that he like ate chicken knowingly but still has his powers. It's just like it's like one it's just like a joke that doesn't work for me. Yeah, it works for me. Again, I cannot express how much I love this movie enough. So whatever. It's like a minor little bump in the road. I think what you're saying is there's just too many jokes. It's a joke on a joke on a joke on a joke. And maybe it's a little too much for you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this one joke doesn't land. You are saying that. That's what you're saying. (laughs) I'm saying I hate this movie. I hate it. Well, Scott is also going to get help in another fight. This may have happened before this scene. I may be going out of order, but I don't care anymore about that shit. But um, (laughs) Scott also gets attacked in an alleyway by a woman fighter. He doesn't really fully understand why this sort of gothy little chick with like crazy eye makeup under her eyes is attacking him but then later she comes back into the club and attacks him again and this is the character of Roxy Richter who is played by Mae Whitman she is a lesbian ninja and Scott doesn't really understand why she's fighting him and then realizes that, oh, my goodness, she is also one of the exes because Scott keeps saying, I'm going to have to fight all your ex-boyfriends mm-hmm. to the Ramona. And she's like exes, like mm-hmm. she continually corrects him that it's not just ex-boyfriends, but he doesn't quite get it. And then when he finally gets it, we see this little thing over his head that says, like, gets it. doesn't have a clue. And then it goes to gets a clue, gets it or something like that. Yeah. But Scott. Scott doesn't feel comfortable fighting a girl. He doesn't want to punch a girl. So Ramona's got to kind of join in and they have this sort of tandem fight where she's working his limbs and stuff to fight Roxy. It shows some visual ingenuity. I think it's 
clever the way it skates around the having a scene where a dude kicks the crap out of a girl because nobody really wants to see that not even in 2010 when we were a far more primitive society <laughs> i have mixed feelings about this like i think it's really awesome when ramona and roxy are fighting like ramona like she's like roxy's got like the 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 blade belt right and ramona's got like a sledgehammer and i think it's a really well choreographed fight that's really cool but it kind of like breaks the rule for me that scott has to fight all the exes right like it just this was one of the times like even though i just earlier was talking about turn off the logic knob right and just like fucking sit there and enjoy it i remember being in the theater being like but i thought he had to fight her right so why is Ramona stepping in? And then why isn't she fucking helping out with all the other fights then, right? It just bugs me. And that ties into a larger conversation, which is like, I am not a believer in this, like, when I watch in a movie, only men can fight men and women can fight women. I think that's really stupid. And I kind of, I like it when men and women fight on screen. And like, I don't know, that's, that's where I stand. Do I want to watch a man beat up a woman? No, I want to watch them have an equal fight, you know? Yeah. But I understand, like, we could have a whole argument about how, like, Ramona, like, helps Scott fight. She's, like, holding his arms and shit, right? And, like, moving him. And, like, I don't know. Again, it falls into the the way the fight ends. He, like, tickles her. Is the behind the knee, is there a name for that? There's got to be, like, a medical term, right? Reverse knee? I don't know. She just says. Some people are ticklish there. Well, yeah. no, Ramona says. Um, it's, like, it gives her, like, an orgasm, basically. Yeah, she's, like, I used to touch behind her knee when we were making out. It's, like, a you know her weakness, so to speak. But, like, I don't get why that defeats her, you know? Like, this, this is my least favorite fight in the, well, I don't know. Maybe it's my second least favorite fight. But I get it. We're here to have fun. It's not a big deal. I agree with you that I think it's fine to have fight scenes between men and women. And, you know, especially if you set up that the man and the woman fighting are sort of equally matched physically. If it's consensual fighting. If we're going to live in a world where men and women are going to be seen as equals as everything, then they have to be equals of things and they have to be, a, yeah. be able to actually fight each other. And you can't be like, well, but it's not fair if it's a man versus a woman. That's how equality works. Yeah. They set up that she's a good fighter. So, yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be a big deal that Scott fights her and he does kind of fight her, but he doesn't feel comfortable about it. And I think that's the point. I believe that's how Scott would feel about this. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's true true to his character roxy is gonna kick his ass anyway like she's like a real badass but i i don't know i just think it's again it's it's another way with the with the battles where he's not fully doing it himself right now where he's having to again like before he was using his wits and now he's using actually physically has ramona involved so he's okay with it and this also i think brings up a sort of important thing that's going to come to a head in the movie and that is that scott is wrestling with the magnitude of ramona's sexual history basically not that he is upset that she dated a woman but like he's just like who haven't you slept with you know like and so that sort of builds into a head and they end up sort of like breaking up or whatever over this idea that Scott just can't deal with her past. This sort of fun take on, oh, you've got to fight all these exes is a fun way to look at that, I think, very real phenomenon that young people go through where they have to contend with other people's dating history. I agree with everything you just said 100%. And I, I feel like this comes up and has come up in other storytelling as well like it's you know it's but i think it's done in the most fun 
more harmless, I guess, type way with this. And it's actual, like, you know, we're battling the exes and, but it, that, that is a reoccurring theme in different films or, and or television where people are having to deal with someone else's history and like, you know, what, what that means and the insecure feelings that brings up. I think it's handled the worst in the movie Chasing Amy by Kevin Smith. Oh, so bad. That wrestles with this same question and does it so terribly. So terribly. I, I just think that in this movie, it's done in a way that because of the cartoonishness and everything, were I a person that age, if I had seen this movie at this time, I would have actually kind of found this comforting. And it would have sort of helped me to sort of process those feelings in a more sort of healthy way, I think. It's unclear from the movie how experienced, you know, Scott Pilgrim is. Obviously, he's had girlfriends. I get that idea. But it's unclear how many. I mean, am I wrong? Maybe he's never had. Like, I don't think Knives Chow is his first girlfriend. No, and V. Adams is. Oh, yeah. Duh, duh. And right. don't forget the Kim. He and Kim dated in high school. Yeah. You're right. It's almost like I didn't watch this movie. He's relatively <laughs> inexperienced in comparison to Ramona. Ramona is much more experienced than him. I think that dynamic is definitely there. Right. And it's certainly like, oh, she's been with she's been with a woman and like basically a movie star, right? But like the movie handles their relationship really well. And that's that's what I like is that when it's just Ramona and Scott, like the romance scenes, like we didn't talk about the scene when he first goes on a date with her and like spends the night at her place and they just have like a tender night mm -hmm. in bed. And she's like, I don't want to sleep with you. And he's like, that's fine. Like, I literally just want to sleep with you, you know, yeah. like, like literally sleep. I think it's really touching, you know? And then after the fight with Roxy, is it right? Like, yeah, he's upset with her and she's like, yo, dude, like I totally just helped you, you know, like, I don't know. I think it's a really beautiful like love story in the middle of this bizarro ninja movie, you know? I agree. The Battle of the Bands continues, and now Scott has got to face off against evil exes that are twins, mm -hmm. Kyle and Ken Karayanagi. And the way this is going to go down is Scott's band has to perform against their band which isn't really a band it's like they're djs or whatever so they're like electronic musicians and scott's indie rock band has to face off with them now i will tell you as a member of a band this is the part of the movie that is the least realistic to me you will never play a show where you're facing another musical artist and having to out volume them or whatever this scene is fine but this is my least favorite fight quote unquote in the movie because it's just them blasting music at each other and we never really learn much about these two characters this just feels like kind of filler to me and honestly it's at this point of the movie where I feel it begins to kind of unravel. Like, I've been really pretty on board with most of what's been going on up till here. I love the romance and all that, and I still like the movie. But at this point in the movie, I'm like, not that into this scene. It's not really that funny. It's not really a good fight. It's just kind of a lot of special effects. And also... Like, I just feel like the story is kind of not really going anywhere. We're just kind of treading water at this point. Maybe you just like haven't played in bands enough because I've been to many Battle of the Bands and they're all facing each other playing as loud as possible. That's what a Battle of Bands <laughs> is. So I disagree with that. But I will say. I have say... won several Battle of the Bands, I'll have you know. <laughs> 
it's true. It. No, he's not kidding. I'm not kidding. No, you're not. No, it's for real. Does it count if there are no other bands though? <laughs> I won the Rock and Roll Rumble in Boston in 1998. My band, The Ghost of Tony Gold, fucking won. We won. We were in the paper. We were a big friggin' deal. I'll have you know that, Rodney. I won. Is that the one where every three minutes a new band comes on stage and you keep adding bands? We beat like like 20 bands. Dude, I believe you. I believe you. (laughs) You don't believe me. I (laughs) I sense sarcasm in your voice. We're going to be sending you some magazine covers, Rodney. The peak of my life was in 1998. At the Rock and Roll Rumble. I could just go back to 98. Things have never gotten better since then. I'm sure it felt like you won. And that's the important thing. First of all, it's a real letdown that like Boyfriends 5 and 6 are like kind of like combined. Yeah. Honestly, I literally watched it last night. I don't remember if there's any explanation from Ramona Flowers who these guys are. Does she ever say that? I don't think there's any. No. So every other boyfriend or rather ex gets a story about what happened i don't know who these guys are they don't even have like a single line they don't really do anything cool they just stand and like yeah like they play music and like does it is it a dragon that comes out of their system it's like a cg dragon scott's band creates like a big ape that fights the dragon and that's how the fight goes down there's just like this ocd part of me that's like Yo, man, if you're going to tell me there's seven, I want seven fights. And now I feel like you're cheating me out of a whole sequence here. And I, I'm sure that's probably what happens in the in the comic book. So, like, they're probably just being faithful, right? But it they should have just made it five evil exes and just cut this whole thing out. That's what I think. But it's also the, the fight is weird because it's like it doesn't even feel like they have a personal vendetta against Scott. It just doesn't feel right. And the fight is lame to just watch like a big gorilla fight a big dragon. Even though earlier I talked about how much I like dragons. I know. This whole part is, yeah, just kind of a letdown. It's so visually cool. Like, I, you know, it's cool, but not compared to the rest of the movie. The only thing that's important that happens here plot-wise in this fight is that when they beat these guys, Scott wins an extra life, which is going to come back. Yes. I agree with both of you. This is not, this is my least favorite battle. I'm like so really just not invested at this point. I don't know. It just, it's making me want things to wrap up sooner at this point, just because I'm like, uh... Okay. I just kind of expect bosses five and six to like be really badass after like vegan. Yeah. You know, like, 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 I don't even know what, what would be the super superhero equivalent of that dude? Like he's like, he's like Jean Grey on steroids and you got like this badass skateboarder dude and Patel with his like uh, demon women. And there's just like these two Asian guys and they play their DJs and it's like, that's it. Yeah. It's not building up. No. It's this exactly. sort of weird like setback. Like now this should have come like first or second. I yep. mean, I can understand why you want to start off strong. But yeah, it's just it seems like a placeholder thing just to get to the number seven. Yeah. We've got to deal with these two guys. It doesn't completely derail the movie. But for me, it kind of like knocks the card onto one rail. So now we're kind of like teetering through the rest of the movie it's unfortunate because we meet after this we meet the big bad of the movie who is this record promoter named Gideon who was the boyfriend that Ramona she was in New York with him and she ran away from him 
and he is played by Jason Schwartzman, who does a great job, yep. and he plays a good sh- swarmy, schmarmy guy. He's got a really obnoxious sort of floppy hairdo. So, like, he's doing great, and of course, like, he comes out to tempt the band with this record deal, but Scott doesn't want to sign the deal because he doesn't like that Ramona seems to be sort of getting back with this guy, but the band wants the record deal, so uh, young Neil just takes over for Scott, like, instantly right yep, there. Yep. Like, young Neil's like, well, I can play Scott's parts, and they're like, it's all they, they hand him the contract, <laughs> and he signs it. So I, I like that moment. But yeah, unfortunately, the movie's kind of losing its grip here for me. And it's too bad because I really do like uh, Jason Schwartzman and his performance here. Rodney, how do you feel about Jason Schwartzman? In general, I don't really know how I feel about Jason Schwartzman. In this movie, I think he's pretty good. Like, he definitely plays like a, a scummy bad guy. I think my biggest problem here is that, like, I'm meeting this guy like 90 minutes into the film, you know? Yeah. There's a part of me that gets that it's supposed to be like a reveal because he's referenced earlier, you know, but it's just for like being the main villain of the movie. It just feels wrong to me to meet him so late. I don't know. I'm not really bothered by that. I just um, I've been all in and I'm like, yeah, and the momentum is going and going and going. And then it just kind of like starts to like peter out for me at this point. I'm glad that we get to finally meet Jason Schwartzman. I think they're referring to him as like G something g-man g-man or something like that yeah so it's like he's been referred to throughout the film but i don't know i I love jason schwartzman i think he's totally fun i think he's perfect in this part yeah we i mean we're starting to see that this is like this is ramona's kryptonite you know like here and and because even scott brings it up at some point he's like wow you've been you've dumped all of these people you've never been the dumpy we learn that technically she did leave gideon but it was because he was blowing her off, yeah. you know, and, and, and she was getting treated poorly and she just couldn't deal. And so she split. And then of course, the way that this type of dynamic works is like, now he is interested. And then we also learn that he actually does have control over her, like for real. Like, it's not just like, oh, I can't quit this guy. It's like, no, she has a fucking chip in the back of her neck that he's controlling her, which I think is great. And it's just kind of perfect for what what's going on there. I remember when I first saw this, I kind of was a little weirded out by the fact that like Ramona is now basically just completely back under this guy's power. I do like that they throw in that she had like a chip on her neck so that she's like literally being sort of mind controlled by him. But it does put her into this position where she's now just sort of powerless and Scott's got to kind of go save her. It's maybe slightly a little problematic. I could see people having more of a problem with it. Did she have that chip the whole time? Like, when did the, like, how long did he come back and then put the chip on her? That would be what I would assume. Yes. Okay. It kind of just bugs me that she doesn't just, like, she takes a long time to explain that to Scott when she could just say that, right? This whole thing makes me feel a little icky, a little icky, right? Yeah. But that's the intention of Edgar Wright, I think. So yeah. I don't know. Like the, the chip thing is a little stupid, but I understand what movie I'm watching, so I can let it go. Yeah, I I didn't, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of 
taking something that happens and I mean, maybe you guys have never had that happen before where there's someone you really shouldn't be with, but you, you know, you keep going back to that. Well, of course. Yeah. You know, and I just think that we've put Ramona on such a untouchable pedestal that she's like the one that's breaking hearts all over the place. And it's like, no, Ramona is also a human being too. And like, she can also make bad choices and, and, you know, be rejected in in some way and I love that it's so corny but it's great it's just like really subtle and Edgar Wright is is really good at doing this he does it all throughout Hot Fuzz as well but like when Jason Schwartzman's like you know getting Ramona back into the car or whatever and under my thumb is playing I, I didn't even think about it as far as Scott like having to come and save her now I feel it's like Scott is still on his own like journey if we're gonna get like deep into stuff Scott's still like trying to like get what he needs to do as far as in the video game world he gets like like i said he gets like his heart and his courage because he's got to make things right ultimately with you know the wrongs that he's done as far as like he was being gross by like dating both girls at the same time really you know like he he was you know it looks like he was just cheating on knives but he's actually not being upfront with ramona either So like all that's coming out too. So I feel like that's more of like just Scott's piece there and Ramona getting her away from Gideon is this part of it. But I don't know. I just looked at it as more of making Ramona more normal, so to speak. This type of thing can happen to her too. She's not just the mythical heartbreaker. I think that's fair. I think you've put it really well. But this leads into our big climax. And to your point, we get these sort of two versions of the climax where it's taking place at Gideon's ridiculously over-designed club. (laughs) And Scott shows up and he goes in sort of gun blazing at first, like... Uh, he's going into the club and the, the guys at the door are asking him for passwords and he just sort of like he's the first password he just goes oh whatever and they're like all right you're in and then the next one he just kind of goes Ugh, and they let him yeah. in and he goes to confront Gideon and you know we get this whole sequence where he he's confronting him and all that but he's still sort of like operating with his normal shitty Scott behavior like he's not copping up to how he hurt hurt knives knives shows up and attacks with some actual knives and everything you know and then he and Gideon fight but Scott ends up dying and then he's in this sort of nether realm and then while he's in the nether realm he and Ramona have this conversation and he learns that he's got to now not fight for her but fight for himself so it's about him learning self-respect and then he uses his second life to come back and then confront Gideon again so we're getting this sort of quick replay of all the things that he did the first time this feels like kind of messy like it feels like they're trying to cram in like everything into this one last big set piece scene it ends up working but it's kind of like a really messy cake like you're like this cake is good I like all the flavors and everything and I like ultimately how it came out but it kind of is a mess and it just feels like things are getting thrown at you sort of willy-nilly like we got to get this in we got to get that in he's got to feel this way he's got to feel that way oh now he realizes what he did wrong and now he's back and stuff it's fine but again i do feel like the end of the movie is the weakest kind of part of the movie every time i watch this movie there's something off that i can never quite put my finger on right and it's really you're right it's this last 
segment of the movie when they go to the club. Because it's like Scott Pilgrim isn't a character in who needs to find self-respect. That's not his problem. The movie isn't about people walking all over him. He's just sort of like shy and timid. First, he learns, earns the power of love. He couldn't say love to Ramona. He kept saying lesbians, lesbians which is a funny joke because he keeps oh, mistaking right. the word love with lesbians. So the first time he pulls out the sword from his chest, it's from the power of love because now he can admit that he loves her. Right. But okay. then the second time he goes back... Then he admits to both Ramona and Knives that he cheated on both of them. I think that's what I'm kind of chafing up against because, like, we're doing the same thing twice where he's pulling this sword out of his chest that's supposed to be what he learns from the movie. And right. the first time it's the power of love and then the second time it's the power of self-respect. And I don't really feel like that's what either one of those things is what he's been trying to learn. Am I wrong? No. The minute he goes, like, uh, I think it's Bill Hader who does the voice. Mm -hmm. It is, yes. And he goes, Scott just earned the power of self-respect. And my instant thought was, did he not have self-respect throughout this movie? Because that didn't seem like a thing that was happening, you know? It's just more about him growing up emotionally. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's, I, 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 I'm not disagreeing with you as far as, like, I don't think it's self-respect. Because I don't feel like he was really down on himself, so to speak. Yeah, like, I, I, right. I, I think that, I mean, maybe he was earning respect from others because he was like coming clean with some of his stuff, but it's not yeah. self-respect. It's more just like he's he's getting emotionally accountability. Yes, it's accountability, which I I'm sure wouldn't be a cool no. sword to pull out of your chest. <laughs> accountability, but that's really what he is learning ultimately. Yeah. Well, and even saying that he loves her, it's like he's being honest about her his emotions and stuff. We don't ever get the sense that he didn't love Ramona. Exactly, we do feel like he loved her. Right. He just couldn't say, say it. it. Which means he's just not being courageous enough, I guess, with his feelings. They couldn't find the right words to put on this. And, right. I, and I can understand it. And I can, I'm, I, I'm sympathetic to them because I don't know if I was the writer what I would have done. Right. Like, I don't know, accountability. That sounds lame. You don't want to pull that out of your chest. Or emotional maturity. You know, like, it's no, it's not fun. <laughs> they set themselves up to have a tough challenge here and I'm afraid they didn't quite land it. And even makes, makes things right with Kim too. Mm -hmm. That's a good, that's a really good moment. I like that. Yeah. It's like, cause he just kind Kind of the the way that he is is he's not like I said all along he's not a bad guy by any means I think he has a good heart I think like and this is whole Kim's whole beef with him is like it's coming out is she's just like wow like you're just everything just works out for you you know it's like he doesn't have any uh, accountability for things like shit just like he may you know have been done Kim wrong or whatever and it's like oh well but now he's gone on and he's with Envy now and then like oh he kind of got his heart broken there but you know he saw knives and then like oh but then he met Ramona and he's just like moving on you know like nothing is really he's kind of Teflon in that way where it's like yeah. nothing really sticks to him he just kind of is going through life and, you know, not that he's like got this, you know, um, charmed existence, so to speak, but in a way, I mean, people just like him, you know, it's like, he's a likable guy and, you know, he's in a band and he's, you know, this things kind of work out for him, but he hasn't really like been accountable as far as, you know, 
apologizing to Kim for being a jerk or, you know, apologizing to Knives for, you know, not being honest with her that he was like, right. you know, so I don't know. But yeah, it, it's how do you how do you make that sound cool? How do you make that video game-ish? I don't know. It's emotional maturity. That's ultimately what yeah. he learns is some form of emotional maturity. But that's not a fun thing to put on a screen no. while he pulls out a flaming sword from a chest. It would work a little better if right before he fought him, he just like apologized to Kim and Knives and Ramona. And then it said like Scott leveled up, right? And then you saw like, yeah. the, like you know, plus one strength, plus two, whatever, skill. Yeah. That would work better than just saying he earned the power of love, right? And also like the line that he says is like, he's like, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. It's weird because like everything he's done in the movie is for him. He's not a guy who has spent his whole time trying to please other people. He's like trying to date all these women. Like everything he does is about from his perspective. So I don't think that that beat lands either. I would agree with that. I'm also just sitting there like shoving popcorn in my face being like, oh, here comes a cool fight. Like, <laughs> like I'm just, we're at the end, of, we're at the end of the movie. He's got to beat this guy, right? It gets by because the visuals are all there. The performances are there. It f ultimately works, but it is like a really messy burger that tastes good, but it's falling apart in your hands. Man, you are hungry. Oh man, you did not, you did not have dinner. <laughs> So Scott wins, he defeats uh, Gideon, and the last scene we get is Scott and Ramona and Knives are outside the club, and Scott apologizes to Knives, and Ramona is basically like, I should go off on my own, and you guys made a good couple fighting in there together, because at one point Scott and Knives were fighting together. And we get this kind of sweet moment between Knives and Scott where she basically forgives him for treating her a little bit badly and tells her to go after Ramona. And so he goes off with Ramona and they go into this magical door to fly off somewhere together. But interestingly, this was not the original ending of the movie. Oh. It was Scott and Knives did end up together and Ramona just stepped out of the picture. I would not have liked that as much. You don't want to see Scott and Knives end up together. I don't know why they ever thought that would have been the way to end the movie. It does seem like he has way more in common with Knives, you know? Like, when they're dating, it seems like they're they're having a really good time. And, like, it's weird because, like, it doesn't feel like he and Ramona have that much in common, right? It's just, like, they need each other. And I could see an ending where it's, like... Don't you get it? Like, she's the girl who's right for you. I'm the manic pixie dream girl. You can't do that, though, with a 17-year-old girl yeah. and a 22-year-old guy. No, though. but she turned 18. There's a reference to her birthday. Oh, right, so for her birthday dinner. Yeah, she could be. Yeah, and I, uh, Randy, I agree with you. I feel like because he is um, a, a little more immature, they have a lot in common because they're more on that level as far as, like, you know, they're they're just let's go you know record shopping and let's go and like you know play video games and eat pizza and that's just kind of like that they're kind of on the same level in that that way as far as what they like to do and that's totally fine but yeah you don't really see what he and Ramona have in common they kind of make it seem like Scott is the kind of guy who jumps from girl to girl like he's always chasing the next best thing how do I know that like a week from now he doesn't see a different girl and he wants to leave Ramona for her, you know? Having said that, if he ended with knives, that would have upset me. Like, yeah. like there there is a there is a beat at the end of the movie where the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my God, she's just gonna walk away and like he's not gonna get Ramona flowers. 
And I can imagine that all the test audiences were like, fuck no. Like, why why did I watch you fight seven X's then, right? Yeah. Well, you left out the part where he has to face his negative self or whatever. Yeah, I did leave that out because that, why are we doing that at the very end of the movie? I don't know. I I can't say, guys. I don't know what's going on. That's another thing where it just feels like one more thing thrown in there. Like, we don't need it. I mean, it's kind of funny because, yeah, evil Scott, nega Scott appears with glowing eyes and it's all like, oh no, now he's going to feed nega Scott. And whenever that happens in this movie, I forget that they actually don't fight and I'm like, oh God, really? Really? Another Are we going to have like another yeah. fight? Like I feel a sense of dread and weariness yeah. every time Nega Scott appears, but it ends up being a joke where he just talks to Nega Scott and they're like, oh yeah, we have a lot in common really. It just feels like an unnecessary thing to throw on here. There's not like a running theme about how he really has to face his inner demons or something, you know, yeah. like he, I don't know. It, it is a common video game thing that you fight your mirror image in a lot of games. Right. You know, I get that. It does feel like one joke too many when it's not needed. And it kind of interrupts the emotional flow of the climax, right? Like he has now won. The music is sort of swelling. He's got to choose between the girls. And then there's like this jokey thing with his negative image, you know? Agree. I agree also. I did. It just doesn't need to be there because, again, it's not really something that he's like been dealing with the entire film. I could see it working, but like Rodney said, you'd have to establish that Nega Scott would have to be the end villain. Right. It would have to be that. Right. Like, like he's defeating his bad self. Of course. But that's not what this movie is, has been. I do like that he comes walking out with Nega Scott and he's like, yeah, you can go and get French toast and bacon on the side. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go get brunch. You know, it's, it's, it's cute, but it's not necessary. It's in no way offensive or anything but it's just why is it there it offended me rodney was highly (laughs) offended you know again there's like this movie is so fast and there's so many little great moments that are just they're not important they're just great moments throughout you know none of the moments are standing out i just i love 90 percent of this movie you know and the other 10 percent i enjoy I mostly agree. I think that it has some um, issues, though. And I think maybe those issues might have played a role in it not doing well. In fact, it did pretty cataclysmically bad. (laughs) Its production budget was listed as $60 million, which is actually low. It was really more like $80 million. That makes more sense. And it ended up making like $48 million worldwide. So this is a straight up ba-bomb of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't wait for that. (laughs) You see what I did there? I sure do. This is a straight up ba-bomb. We are sex ba-bomb and we're not going to recoup our money. One, two, three, four. (laughs) (laughs) So that is why we have never seen a sequel to this movie. Now, I'm going to say that I can understand why. I can understand why this movie didn't really do well. I mean, I think Rodney brought up a good point that maybe the the trailers didn't sell it well enough. But I just think this movie is too fucking crazy and weird for people to get on board with. It's just the rules are very just out the window, which is great, you know, for people like us who can appreciate it for what it is. 
we don't want it to be anything other than what it is, but I could see a lot of people coming into this thing not knowing what they're getting into. They think they're seeing some Michael Sarah romantic comedy and they're getting this crazy anime video game nutty movie. And I think they just couldn't hang with it. I think it, it, it comes at you so fast and it's really expecting you to like just get on board with this crazy world and this crazy film style and everything. I just think it's too much. And I think that honestly, Edgar Wright is a acquired taste. Like none of his movies have been giant smash hits. Like the best he's done is to have some sort of like cult hits here and there. And like this movie has gone on to be a movie that has become a cult hit and people love it. So it's found its place in the world. We don't have to cry tears for Scott Pilgrims, but I just think initially people just could not hang with it. It's just too much. It's too fast. It's just, there's no rules to anything. And, you know, we were coming out of a decade when like the dark Knight was the biggest movie that happened. And that movie's like so grounded in reality. I just think people were not in this headspace. I can't say if things have changed enough. Maybe if you release this now, well, not now because nothing does well now because of the pandy. But like, <laughs> if you release this in 2019, would it have done better? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I think the world didn't know what to do with Scott Pilgrim. And I think audiences didn't know what to do with, with Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, obviously I have no idea why it failed because I guess in my mind, I get why someone watched the trailer and be like, I don't want to see that. What I don't understand is, like, why word of mouth didn't draw people. Because I walked out of this fucking thing, and I told every person I saw, like, I stopped strangers on the street and was like, you got to go see Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> and this guy was like, leave me alone. And I was like, no, 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 come with me. I'll buy you a ticket. <laughs> I don't know how you could walk out of this and say, I didn't like it. I, that's what that's what's really confusing to me. I guess what it comes down to is our country is really big, right? And there are a lot of people who don't see the world the way I see the world. And that saddens me. It saddens me to think that the majority of people saw Scott Pilgrim and said, I'm not interested when it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? This is, this is so different than your humdrum, boring life, right? Like go fucking see this movie. I could understand if people didn't like it, but not going to see it is fucking mind boggling to me. Oh my God, we're hitting a triggering thing for me. I'm being triggered. <laughs> Because like, because it speaks to like the way that like for, for, for decades, there has been this like condescending looking down upon comics and video games. And maybe you would feel this way about garage bands. I can't speak to the music element. It's classified as, oh, it's a it's a video game movie thing. Therefore go fuck yourself. I don't want to see it. But we now live in the world where Free Guy is like, I think, number one at the box office. It's yeah, doing it's very well. Really well. People are into it, right? Also, we live in a world where adult anime has become more mainstream. And I think if Scott Pilgrim were released two years from now, it would be a huge hit. I think people would be lining up. They'd be talking about it. I think you're right. It was released at a weird time. But it, it saddens me. It saddens me that people are so dead inside that they can't enjoy this fucking awesome movie that exists. Yeah, I'm talking to you, listener. You sadden me. I've been waiting all podcasts to throw this in your face. 
So I'm going to do it now. Oh, no. I think you really summed up your feelings very eloquently, and you've already sort of defended yourself from what I'm about to say very eloquently, but I have to do it because this is a point of contention for many of the podcasts that you have been on, movies that we have discussed. When we get to this point, you're like, Sebastian... This movie sucks. That's why nobody went to see it. If this movie was good, how come it didn't make a gazillion dollars at the box office? You use the poor box office as proof of your point that the movie sucks. Okay, not every like, time. The movie sucks because it, the the movie didn't do well at the box office. Therefore, that is proof it sucks. Now look where you are. You love this movie. It fucking bombed so <laughs> now how do you feel about a movie not doing well at the box office sebastian has been so excited to to say this does this mean this movie sucks it must right it must suck right it didn't do well you can't this is entrapment right? you can't, that's illegal no, it's just that in the cases of all those other films, it was true that they happened. <laughs> the, you you always like to ask, why did this movie not make money? And in those cases, it's because the movie was bad. People were like, I don't want to see, I, like word of mouth was, don't go see that. Don't go see A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's bad, <laughs> right? John Carter, go listen to the episode. I didn't say people didn't go see it because it's bad. I said the trailers were fucking terrible. And that's why people didn't go to see it. I'm just pointing out that you have used that as like the smoking gun in many of an argument about a movie. Yeah. I say whatever I need to say in the moment to make my, <laughs> my case. That's what I think we're getting to. I'll just admit that. Yeah. I like basically like I don't get people like, look, I, I love my mom and I understand she never would go see this movie and she never has seen Scott Pilgrim. But I don't understand why. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't say that looks fucking bonkers. Let's have let's get high and go see it. I can see why, because you look at it. And if you're not a person who's immersed in video game culture or anime culture or indie band culture, there's nothing there for you. If that's not your spheres of interest, why would you go see this? It's so all that there's nothing in this that you would say like, oh, no, this is going to speak to everybody. There is things in this that will speak to everybody. There are emotional truths truths in this movie but on the surface if you looked at it if you just threw it in somebody's face and they're like i don't care about indie bands i don't care about video games and i don't fucking care about anime why would you see it there's nothing here for you then like if you like you know parlor mysteries you're not gonna fucking see this movie it just doesn't appeal to you if you like movies about like men on a mission you know fighting wars in Afghanistan or whatever like everything that's on fucking Netflix now or like if you just want to see movies about lone men's with guns like you're not gonna see fucking Scott Pilgrim it's not gonna appeal to you I just like to say that I really like parlor mysteries and I also really like Scott Pilgrim I I like lone men with guns and Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't like both things. My wife likes all the fucking like Pride and Prejudice type movies, right? She likes Bridgerton. She also likes Scott Pilgrim. I have never actually personally met a person who doesn't like Scott Pilgrim. You know why? Because it's a fucking great movie. It's great. I just feel like a whole bunch of people said, bah, video games, not going. I fall somewhere between both of what you were saying. I feel like it was a tough time for it to come out cinematically. 
And I agree with what Rodney said, like if it came out and again, because we're in pandemic times, it's, it's a hard time, but you know, whatever, if it came out now, like how free guys doing and just the, the style and the way it's shot, I feel like the world has caught up to being more open to that now. Whereas back then they weren't not, not as a whole. And that it is sad. It's sad that, you know, somebody would not be willing just to like give this wild ass looking movie a try, even if it was, didn't seem like it was something they were into just because visually it's doing something so different, but that's just the way it is. So I feel like it was the, the time that it came out, if it would be now or a few years from now, it would do, uh, would have done a lot better in the theater. Well, that may be true, but it now at least it holds a place in cult movie history and in people's hearts. All right, well, I'm going to go uh, level up and earn a new life and fight uh, all of Jen's seven evil exes. <laughs> ah. I'm just going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.